From the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard in Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Broad Ignite podcast. Each month, we feature a researcher supported by this program, which connects rising philanthropists with emerging scientific talent. Learn more at giving.broadinstitute.org slash broadignite. Broadignite, seeding the next generation of biomedical visionaries. I realized that I was really interested in working on development of new tools to do precise gene editing, so improving upon the technology that Fung in the lab had already worked out. Um, and I became really interested in trying to find organisms that do this sort of thing naturally, so organisms that have uh, ways to rearrange their own genome. I'm Ilan Mohari, your host for this episode. Today, we're talking with Sarah Jones, a postdoc at the Broad. Her team is studying a crazy microorganism whose unique reproductive process could become the basis of a next-generation gene editing tool. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So how did you get into this line of work? Well, I joined the Broad in 2014 as a postdoctoral researcher in core member Feng Zhang's lab. Feng and I had shared a mentor at Harvard, and so I was really aware of all of the exciting things he and his team had been doing with DNA modification and gene editing. We all know Feng Zhang is an incredible, remarkable scientist. He's becoming something of a household name. What's it like to work with him every day? Feng is a really incredible scientist. One of the things that I'm always most impressed with about him is that he's just a huge risk taker. He loves to really push himself and push the envelope with everything he does. Um, he's still really present in the lab, which is incredible. He comes in just about every day and will just stand next to your bench and go, hey, what's up? Um, and wants to know what you're working on, wants to know what's happening. Well, you must have been really excited that first day of work, knowing all about what, what he was up to. Were you were you, were you nervous? Tell me about that first day. My first day was not at all what I expected. There was a lot of really great stuff going on in the lab when I first started, and really all I wanted to do was grab a pipette and run into the lab and start doing things. Unfortunately, I don't think I had the clearest idea of exactly what I wanted to do. So that first day, I sat down with Fung, and we talked, and he actually sent me to the library to figure out exactly what I wanted to work on. And at the end of the this time at the library, what did you realize? Uh, I realized that I was really interested in working on development of new tools to do precise gene editing, so improving upon the technology that Fung in the lab had already worked out. Um, and I became really interested in trying to find organisms that do this sort of thing naturally, so organisms that have uh, ways to rearrange their own genome. Uh, and I had settled on this crazy organism called the sea lamprey, which in hindsight is kind of a terrifying thing. Why? So sea lampreys are uh, eel-like. They look like eels. They're about three feet long. They don't have a jaw. They have about four rows of circular teeth, which they use to latch onto the side of a fish. And for some reason, this turned out not to be a good idea to work with. So Fung, uh, in his infinite wisdom, suggested we work with something maybe a little bit smaller and maybe a little bit easier to work with in the lab. Which What, what organism did you end up working with? Which led us to Oxytrica trifalax, which still undergoes these really interesting genome rearrangements, but it's about the size of uh, human hair. How do you end up obtaining Oxytrica trifalax to use in the lab? So unfortunately, you can't just go grab them out of a pond anywhere. We actually relied a lot on the kindness of other researchers. So we had a lot of ways to, to get these organisms. The first strains that we got in the lab um, actually came in the mail from a researcher in Indiana who had isolated them decades before. How do you experiment on something so small? 
So a lot of the ways that we use this are actually pretty darn lo-fi in the scheme of things. So one of the common things that we do is try to deliver foreign pieces of DNA inside the cell. Um, and the way that we do this is actually take individual cells and array them out on a slide. And then I have to go in with a very tiny needle that's filled with DNA and try to catch the cells and stab them. So it's you with your with your hand and you're literally trying to stab the cells. It's a little bit better than that in that we have a, a motorized, it's, it's got a joystick on it. It's sort of like a video game, only a really, really, really terrible video game. What have you learned so far from your work with Oxytricotriphalax? So a lot of what we've done has been pretty lo-fi. I have to say we've also mixed in some hi-fi experiments in there. We've been able to do some single-cell RNA sequencing to try and look at what proteins are present during the time that Oxytrica is doing these genome rearrangements. Um, and from this, we've developed a list of about 26 proteins that are highly present at this particular time. What do you know about those, those proteins that can potentially be of use in developing a gene editing tool. So our hope is that we'll figure out the minimal system required to do these complicated rearrangements in Oxytrica, and then we'll be able to transfer it into mammalian cells. And the long-term goal is to be able to actually go in in human cells and correct any DNA mutations that might be disease-causing. How has your Brodignite funding helped you with this research? So one of the great things that we were able to do with our Brodignite funding is uh, really scale up our operation. So I said earlier that I was stabbing cells to get DNA in them. And on a good day, when I had sort of my, my caffeine balance just right, I could probably do about 100 cells in a day. Um, and we purchased this piece of equipment called the Gene Gun, which kind of really is as cool as it sounds. Um, How does it work? So it uses gold particles, so very microscopic gold particles, um, which we can coat with DNA. And then we actually physically shoot them into the cell. Uh, the old school versions of these used actually 22 shells as the propulsion, wow. uh, but nowadays they're helium, so a little bit more lab friendly. Um, Since you've begun working with the, the gene gun, what have you learned? So we're trying to sift through this list of 26 proteins, and we're basically using this technology to be able to upregulate these genes or disturb them um, so that see, and see what the organism does. What's the next step in, in your work now that you've isolated these 26 proteins? Try to recapitulate these, uh, these, organization, these genome organizations um, in vitro and then transfer them into mammalian cells. It sounds like you've had a great experience working in Fung's lab. I was wondering if you could talk briefly about what it's like being a young woman working in science today. It sounds like your experience has been great, but obviously we hear of all sorts of other types of stories. Yeah, my experience has been really great. And I, I think the overall situation is improving with each generation. There are certainly more and more female scientists than when I started my career, and they're really continuing to be successful. I think as a community, we can do more to support female scientists by, in particular, re-examining the timing of certain career milestones, in particular as the training periods such as PhD and postdocs keep getting longer and longer. Career independence is sort of increasingly coinciding with childbearing years. Uh, and I think we can think about ways to revamp the current structure to be a bit more family-friendly, not, not just woman-friendly, but family-friendly. Overall, though, the situation is definitely moving in the right direction. Um, we can all continue to support and mentor the next generation of women scientists, and hopefully 10 years from now, you won't have to ask the next woman scientist this question. Sarah, it was fantastic having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for having me. This has been the Brodignite Podcast. The Brodignite Podcast is produced by Bradford Krieger of Big Nice Studio, Special thanks to Scott Sassone from the Broads Communication Department. And of course, a huge thank you to our fantastic community of Brodignite supporters. Learn more at giving.broadinstitute.org slash Brodignite. Brodignite.